We turn to John's gospel, and we find the disciples around the table, and this is what happens. After Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in Him. If God has been glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and will glorify Him at once. Little children, I'm only with you a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. It's a holy thing for us to gather together in the way that we do in this sanctuary. It's filled with holy moments. Some grab us by the heart, some fly right over us, but they're there, you are here. We ask that in being present with us, you give us the words you would have us hear that we might in fact go out into the world a different people than the ones who walked in. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So I want you to try and picture this, the scene for this conversation between Jesus and His disciples. They had just celebrated the Lord's Supper, the last supper as it's known. And then, at least in John's gospel, Jesus surprises them by humbly washing their feet like a servant would. And then in the conversation that follows around this table, Jesus starts to talk about how Judas is going to betray him. And then at some point after that, Judas storms out evidently to do that very thing. So what we're left with is Jesus and the other 11 disciples around this table still in conversation in what will be their final conversation. What would you say to your friends if you knew it was the last time you would be speaking with one another? What would you tell them? That's the question that Episcopal priest Gary Jones wrestles with in a commentary he wrote on this specific text. What would we say? We've all had those moments, or not all of us, but some of us have had those moments where our loved one, someone we love, knows that they're not going to be with us much longer. Same kind of moment that the disciples have with Jesus in this story. And So instead of telling a parable or speaking in paradoxes like he often does, Jesus instead decides to simply give it to them straight. I give you a new commandment, he says, that you love one another. That's all. That's it. 
not the first will be last and the last will be first and any of that kind of stuff that just sends your mind swimming. No, just, just this simple statement that you love one another. It's a statement that one scholar describes as so simple a toddler could memorize and understand it and yet so profound that the most mature believers often become embarrassed by how they lack understanding of it and so badly put it to practice. Love one another. Fascinating, really, if you think about it, that in these final moments, in their final conversation together, that when it boils down to what's most important, Jesus basically tells us that our faith is more often about what we do than what we specifically believe. After all, he didn't say to them, they'll know you're my disciples because of the creed you've crafted together. Or what you, or because you believe the exact right things. No, well, no, he says, because of what you do how you do it. That's how they'll know. I'll add to that statement by saying that if you believe something and it doesn't change what you do, how you do it, then maybe it's not really a belief in the first place. Think about that. I mean, if you believed that today was your last day on earth, wouldn't that change what you do? If you believed that this was our final conversation together, wouldn't that change what you say? So if we believe, we say we believe that what Jesus tells us is true, then shouldn't that change how we are around other people? How does your belief change you? How does your belief in this person who walked up onto the cross and then walked right out of the tomb change you? And then what are you doing in your life as a result of that? I become really curious when I see other people, never me of course, <laughs> when I see other people... <laughs> who say they believe one thing, right, and then walk right out and do something that seems to completely contradict what they just said. Like when Christians say they love others and then go out and do some of the most hurtful things. Makes me wonder if we don't realize what it is we're doing. It's as if we have this innate ability to separate what we do from what we say. Judas does it in our story. They're sitting there around the table talking, and Jesus says to him, talks to him about how he knows Judas is going to betray him, and Judas turns right to him, and he says, well, surely not I, Lord. Matthew captures that part of the conversation. Surely not I. That's not what I'm about. 
And then he goes right out and does that very thing. Completely contradicts what he says he believes. As if what he believed never really affected him all that much. What about you? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What are you going to do about it? A couple of weeks ago, I listened to an online sermon given by a friend of mine, Frank Eamon. We're he's a pastor in our area. He's retired now. He's serving right now, filling in for North Park Presbyterian down the road. And in, in his Easter sermon, he reminded me of, I've known Frank a long time, he reminded me of a story my grandfather once told me that he also was told. Back in the 90s, my grandfather, I've said this before, he, he used to uh, be part of a ministry down at the Maximum Security Prison in Huntsville. And once a month, he would go down there to be, help lead the chapel service. He was the speaker. And you could always be invited once, but the prisoners had to invite you back for obvious reasons. If they didn't like you, probably shouldn't be in there. Every month they invited him back. It's the only one that they ever invited back, actually. And they asked him back every month for seven years. Anyway, I was able to go with him one time. And when I did, I met one of the prisoners named Terry. Now, Terry... <laughs> Terry was big, I mean monster of a man, and the kind of person that you took one look at and knew that he could do serious damage to you without even thinking about it. <laughs> it's that kind of, of deal, right? And so on the way home from that chapel service that night, I asked my grandfather about him. I said, tell me about the big guy that the one that, well, he said, and that's how my, he always started off, well, let me tell you about Terry. I said, okay, tell me about Terry. And he went on to talk about how one night after the chapel service, Terry came up to him, walked right up to him as if in a rush, and looked right at him, and he says, I need to tell you something. And in my head, my grandfather was saying, you know, well, he, you better get on with it because I'm about to have to change my britches. <laughs> and he looked at him and he said, I'm going to die in here like everybody else. They all have a date in the walls unit of the Huntsville prison. I'm going to die in here and, and I deserve to be here because I've done some horrible things. I should be here. I'm too dangerous to be out in the world. But here's what I want you to know. From the time that I was little, I don't re ever remember having a good thought. I can't ever remember having a good thought. I ran away from home when I was a little kid, he said, and because at home I was always being hurt. They always hurt me at home. 
If I can't remember ever having a good thought. But tonight, just a minute ago, I had my first good thought. I heard you say, and it says right here in this Bible, Terry was one of the few prisoners who could read. Most of them can't read. And he said, I, I read it right here. It says, God loved the world so much that he sent his only son not to condemn the people, but to save them. And it gave me my first good thought because I thought about that and I said, me? You mean me? My grandfather got to that part of the story and I said to him, I said, well, what'd you say? What'd you say when he told you that? Grandfather looked at me and said, well, you know. I asked him what he was going to do with his good thought. What are you going to do with your good thought, I asked him. And you know what he did? That night, and every night after, he started to read the Scriptures out loud in his cell so that all the other prisoners who couldn't read could learn about Jesus in the way that he did. He figured out what to do with his good thought. Jesus and the disciples are in their final conversation together. And Jesus decides to just give it to them straight. No parables, no paradoxes or confusing language or anything like that. He just looks right at them and he says, love this world. Love this world and one another like no one else can. He gives this good thought. It's a good thought he gives them. And they're left there in the wake of that wondering what to do with this good thought that they've just been given. We are two. What are we going to do with this good thought? We say we believe it. What are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with your good thought today? Now you go figure that out. And once you do, once you figure out what to do with your good thought, then do it. Amen.